Compass Media Networks. This is America's First News. This weekend with your host, Gordon Deal. Thumbs down for youth fundraisers. I'm Gordon Deal with Nicole Murray. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. Here's what's coming up this hour. Actress Alyssa Milano caught heat when she launched a fundraising campaign for her son's baseball team. Have these things gone too far? Does it make sense to spend decades saving as much as possible for retirement? A personal finance expert offers a different approach. If you're stressed out by your commute, hear how various breathing techniques can help you decompress. And what it's like to do a polar plunge in Antarctica. I was pretty nervous, I think, worrying about what could go wrong and particularly being so cold. They did have medical staff standing by in case anything went wrong, but it was really quite freeing to do it. It it just felt like you came out of it saying, oh, wow, that wasn't actually that bad. And and there's a sense of camaraderie with everybody else who's doing it. Nathan Diller at USA Today on his icy plunge off the world's southernmost continent. Well, here's a touchy subject. Why do we need to engage in any of these youth fundraisers? The first that comes to mind, the annual Girl Scouts cookie program. Then there's the ubiquitous candy bar sales that support any number of groups and activities. An opinion piece from Charles Passy at Market Watch. Charles, your take. Well, you know, basically I began this piece because there was a recent uh, sort of incident when the actress uh, Alyssa Milano uh, went on uh, social media and basically fundraised so her kids' baseball team could go to Cooperstown, you know, the Hall of Fame and all that stuff. And there was a lot of pushback. I mean, people were saying, hey, you know, Alyssa Milano, you're a Hollywood star. Shouldn't you be able to pay for the whole thing yourself or whatever? And, you know, she pushed back in return saying, I don't have that kind of money. But it kind of begged the question in my mind, have all these things gone too far, especially when the kids are doing the fundraising? And, you know, I started thinking my kids are, are fully grown, but I started thinking, you know, when my kids were, 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 were growing up, it was like every month between, you know, their schools, their, their ballet studio, their various clubs and sports, it was like every month we were basically being either asked to participate in some kind of fundraiser where my kids were going to be. It got me thinking that, you know, when my kids were growing up and they're both now fully grown or whatever, but when they were growing up, you know, there was not a month that went by when we didn't have to like participate in some kind of fundraiser for the school, for their ballet studio, for their soccer team, um, you know, for whatever it was where where my kids were basically being asked to sell candy or cookies. And, and it just got to be a little too much. And then there was hardly a month that went by where I wasn't being sold something by a friend or a neighbor, you know, their kids, you know, you know, uh, buy some crappy chocolate so I can go to Sweden. I mean, whatever it was. I mean, it just went on and on and on. And, you know, I really have begun to think that is this the right way to go about it? I mean, we're basically asking our kids to beg. And I don't know if that's the message we want to send uh, to the youth out there or whatever. So, I mean, so that's that's really what I wrote about. I mean, the Alyssa Milano thing was more about the parent doing it. But I even then I would argue the parent is a proxy for the child or whatever. So so, you know, so that's 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 kind of what 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 set me off. I find, too, that it's oftentimes a, a club or a team that you already pay some sort of dues or membership or fees too, and now this is just adding on. Like, wait, you need we need more money to do stuff. We already pay. Absolutely, and you know the point has been raised by people who are far smarter, smarter and observant than I are. That you know when schools do the fundraising, 
Well, isn't that what our taxes go for? I mean, that in other words, you know, um, uh, should we be having to pay more than what we already pay as taxpayers for schools to have proper programs? Now, you know, I mean, I think we all understand that sometimes some of this is the icing on the cake or that school districts are not properly funded. But still, I think that's a very significant question we should be asking. Why are we in a position where we have to do fundraising for a public school. Mm. It just doesn't make sense. Some would say it makes even less sense for a private school, but that also goes on because people pay fortunes and fortunes for that or whatever. You know, another thing, so let's talk about the biggest, the 800 pound gorilla of this. It's the Girl Scout cookies or whatever. And, you know, I mean, they, they say that, hey, this is an amazing program. It teaches young women uh, amazing entrepreneurial skills. 700,000 participate in this or whatever. Um, and they've been doing this since 1917. But here's a remarkable thing about it. The Girl Scouts themselves only net, if you read various reports, about a dollar per box. I think the boxes now sell for five to six dollars, somewhere in that range. They're only netting a dollar per box. Are we really saying that's the best way for the Girl Scouts to support themselves? I mean, that seems to me absolutely absurd that all this effort, all this, you know, getting the boxes, moving them to places, selling them, delivering them, a dollar per box? I don't think that's a good lesson in entrepreneurship. But nonetheless, people often say these programs are very much about teaching all these good skills. You brought in, too, the idea that uh, this might not be ideal for lower-income families. You know, there's a real problem here on a couple of levels. I mean, if you're a family of less means, you know, you might have not the same base to tap that somebody from an upper middle class background in the suburbs is trying to raise for their program or whatever. Thanks, Charles. Charles Passy writing an opinion piece for Market Watch. Coming up next, using breathing to decompress. For all the ones who get it done, Granger is always there to help. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, 24-7 support, free access to product specialists, and experienced staff at over 250 local branches. Plus, they provide real-time product availability online and have sourcing specialists who can help you track down hard-to-find items. And their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call 1-800-GRANGER, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. As companies mandate return to office, new research has found employees are resentful over a commute that they thought was over. Fortune reports that drives of just 30 minutes make us stressed and angry, negatively impacting our overall health. How can you de-stress while behind the wheel? Insight from Kimberly Faith, breathwork expert and founder of TheBreathWorkGirl.com. Kimberly, how do you see this? I see this. Uh, people don't realize that your breath is this magical tool that we can activate and use at any point in the day, especially if we're stuck in traffic. I mean, what else are we going to do, right? Might as well activate this tool to regulate our nervous system and take us into a place of, like, ease and relaxation instead of just constantly living in the tension and the stress and the anxiety of going back to work or being in traffic or any other thing we're stressed about, right? Yeah. I should back up a second because we call you a breathwork expert. What does that mean? Breathwork, you know, it's interesting because when you get trained in breathwork, you also learn all these tips and tricks to teach people to lower anxiety. Um, so there's that, little things that you could do in 60 seconds or less. 
And there's also the active breath work, which is classes that you, that I teach both virtually and physically where you have people laying down and they go deep. It's like really intentional. It's a very active meditation, I guess you could say. It's, it's the thing I, I tell people all the time. Uh, when you activate the breath in a breath work session, you get happy, healthy, and high. So it's good for your health, and it takes you to the altered states of consciousness and really promotes healing and peak performance and a whole bunch of other awesome stuff. Wow. All right, so let, let's envision this scenario. You're behind the wheel. Yeah. You're in traffic. You're stressed. You've been cut off now two times, and there's somebody tailgating <laughs> you. You're ready to kill. Um, what can you do <laughs> to help yourself? What I recommend, there is a method called the 426 breathing method. And that is you breathe in through the nose for a count of four. Pause there. Make sure that the breath is coming from the diaphragm. So often when we're stressed and we're pissed, we're breathing from our chest. So breathing through the diaphragm for a count of four. And then pausing for the count of two when we, we our lungs are full, our belly is full. And then exhaling out of the mouth for a count of four. And, and what is nice that? And what, slowly. what does that actually do? What's that doing to our body? What that does is it's sending a, a signal to our brain, saying you are safe, all is well, all is good, and it activates the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the rest, restore, digest. Because when we're stressed out, we're operating in the sympathetic nervous system, which is like. Argh! So by activating that breath, that 426 breath, it calms us down, sends a signal to the brain, gets more oxygen to the brain, saying, okay, wow. you could chill. Okay. We're speaking with Kimberly Faith, breathwork expert, also founder of thebreathworkgirl.com. We're talking about how to calm yourself down by using proper breathing techniques. This stuff uh, is connected to better sleeping, too. Like if you're having trouble sleeping, you can do these techniques? Oh, absolutely. It's It's... The list, it's so crazy, all the things that breathwork can do. I get, uh, I get emails and texts from people who take my classes all the time telling me, oh, my gosh, I slept so well last night. So sometimes that, and sometimes you just get a lot of ideas. Uh, I've heard of lots of different kinds of physical healings. A guy yesterday told me, ever since uh, I did that breathwork session with you, I haven't had any headaches. And that was like six months ago. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy, right? That's significant. Does that have to do, I mean, I'm not trying to be a doctor, but does that have uh, perhaps something to do with getting more oxygen to the brain, like you referenced earlier? Yeah, more oxygen to the brain, hyper-oxygenating and alkalizing the blood. Uh, I mean, there's there's so many, so many like, science-y words to it. But, yes, it's, it's crazy the things that I have seen happen in these breathwork sessions. Wow. So, really unlocks new levels of health. Man. All right, so if if it's not, say trying to decompress while behind the wheel in traffic or trying to fall asleep efficiently, where else might we use this? Oh, God. You know, if you're in a plane, a lot of times, you know, I live in Reno, so going in and out of the airport here gets quite turbulent a lot, and I travel a lot. So I do it every time I take off and land. It's You know, I, I activate these breaths. And the key is you don't have to remember 426. As long as your, your exhales are longer than your inhales, it sends that, uh, message to your brain. So if you're feeling anxious, if you're feeling scared, uh, you could even use your breath with different breath techniques that I have um, in the free resource section of my website, thepressworkgirl.com, breaths that would activate energy and actually get you fired up, get you ready to go. So you can use your breath on both sides of the coin. 
Hmm. to calm you down and to fire you up. Thanks, Kimberly. Kimberly Faith, breathwork expert and founder of thebreathworkgirl.com. Coming up next, the rise of self-gifting. If you still have landline phone service, you may have noticed that your monthly bills have been skyrocketing. That's because the FCC no longer regulates copper lines and phone companies are jacking up the price of their service. UMA is an internet home phone service that lets you keep enjoying the safety and peace of mind of a home phone without paying an arm and a leg. In fact, with a one-time purchase of the UMA Tello, you get internet home phone service for free. All you pay are applicable taxes and fees. Unlike mobile phones, UMA has address-based 911, so dispatchers will know exactly where to find you in an emergency. In the event you call 911, UMA can send a text alert to loved ones. UMA even includes a free mobile app so you can take your home number on the go. And don't worry, you can keep your home phone number for a one-time fee or get a new one for free. Setup is easy. It takes less than 10 minutes. Stop paying too much for home phone service. Visit UMA.com slash Gordon Deal today to get a special discount. That's O-O-M-A dot com slash Gordon Deal. Hey, glad you're with us. Another way, Valentine's Day has gotten a makeover when nearly half the U.S. adult population is unmarried and many say they aren't looking for a romantic relationship. How about self-gifting? Here's this weekend's Nicole Murray. It is Nicole Murray here to join me, a Wall Street Journal reporter, Suzanne Kapner, about a new trend this Valentine's Day. Um, Suzanne, can you tell me what that new trend is? Well, more people are buying Valentine's Day gifts for themselves, whether they're single or married or have a significant other. There are more people just saying, you know what, I'm going to buy myself my own gift this year. Ah, so the whole treat yourself uh, type deal is uh, is gaining popularity. Um, any specific demographic that you're seeing this be more popular with? I think it's kind of across um, demographics, and I think it's it's being driven by, you know, we've all gotten sort of those dud gifts from our you know spouse or significant other, where you know we just say thank you, and then it sits in a drawer and we never wear it. <laughs> So people, instead of that, they they sort of want to take matters into their own hands and buy something they actually like. Um, And you have, you know, um, a growing number of, uh, we have more single people, more unmarried people in this country than ever. And, you know, why should they feel left out on Valentine's Day? Fair enough. Um, What are some other factors contributing to this trend? Well, um, there's a sense of empowerment, I think, about uh, a lot of the women I spoke with said they just felt it made them feel good to be able to go buy themselves a piece of jewelry, a piece of lingerie, a handbag, just something that they they wanted and they didn't have to wait for a man to buy it for them. Yeah. Now, I know you've mentioned some um, some popular gifts there, a handbag, jewelry, any other gifts that you find maybe a little bit more popular this time of year? Well, you know, it's actually not even, it's not only just women. There are, um, you know, men who are doing this for themselves. There's a company called Bevel that makes male grooming products, and they were running a special, you know, um, you know, treat yourself. You get buy one, get 50% off if you sort of treat yourself to, to um, some nice shaving cream or hair product this Valentine's Day. So, you know, it can really run the gamut. I know... Looking at that article, this trend actually contributes to the economy in a very positive way. Can you explain how? Well, um, Valentine's Day sales last year took a dip. They were down uh, around 4%. And, you know, some uh, uh, people who track this type of thing I spoke with 
you know, they think it's partly because, you know, consumers have just been cutting back on, you know, um, sort of the more minor holidays like Valentine's Day, Mother's Day, Easter. You know, they spent for Christmas, you know, for the, the holidays, you know, year-end holidays, that kind of, they sort of pull out the stops there. But, you know, they've been a little more cautious in their spending uh, the rest of the year. And so retailers are hoping that by promoting, you know, treat yourself, buy for yourself type items, that will encourage people to spend more. Have they seen it working thus far? Or was this really the first year that you've seen retailers kind of promote to lean into this? This was the first year that they seem to be doing it in a big way. And I I talked to a few of them who said, you know, last year they went with more traditional Valentine's Day messaging, you know, romantic, buy for your partner, buy for somebody else. And it kind of, it just didn't really, they sort of fell flat. And so this year they uh, switched it up and are promoting more, you know, buy, buy for you, treat yourself, you know, you for you this, this holiday. So I know you said there's not as many married people in the country. Um, do you see that trend growing, lessening? Yeah, it seems to be steadily growing, um, the number of unmarried people, unmarried U.S. adults, according to the Census Bureau. Almost half the population now is unmarried versus, you know, uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago, it was considerably less. So we seem to be moving in that direction. And according to some other research from uh, the Pew Research Center, there's a, a large majority of people who say they're not even looking for a significant other or a romantic relationship. I talked to, you know, um, there's more so-called solo dating going on. I talked to a woman who says, you know, she likes to get dressed up and go out to dinner or go to uh, an event, you know, a museum by herself. She doesn't want to have to wait around for a friend or a romantic partner if they might be unavailable. So she'll just do that on her own. She calls that solo dating and Open Table, you know, the restaurant reservation service said last year on Valentine's Day, you know, nearly one third of diners were either single or in larger groups of like three or more. That's this weekend's Nicole Murray with Wall Street Journal reporter Suzanne Kapner. Coming up next, a polar plunge in Antarctica. Getting older used to mean losing strength, maybe losing stamina in the office or bedroom. Hey guys, it's Gordon Deal, excited to share that Nugenics Total Tea is helping me and guys everywhere crush the stigmas of age. For me, that afternoon energy drop? No longer. Nugenics Total Tea Testosterone Booster will help you re-energize your life. Try Nugenics Total Tea for free before you buy. Get your complimentary sample when you text 231231 and enter keyword Gordon. Nugenics Total Tea is backed by years of science to safely maximize your free and total testosterone levels. Get a complimentary bottle of Nugenics Total Tea when you text 231231 and enter the keyword Gordon. Text now and you'll also get a bottle of Nugenics Thermo X, the most powerful fat incinerator ever. Text 231231 and enter keyword Gordon. Texting enrolls you into recurring automated text messages. Consent not required to purchase. Message and data rates may apply. Number one, doctor recommended brand by primary care physicians based on independent survey. Glad you could spend part of your weekend with us. Gordon Deal with Nicole Murray coming up this half hour, a polar plunge in Antarctica. Also, new retirement thinking and a modern shock for today's moviegoers. We'll have that story in about 15 minutes. Well, expedition cruises take travelers to remote and often extreme places, giving them opportunities to learn, explore, and try something new. 
Those experiences can leave a lasting influence, even in ways we may not anticipate. Someone who knows firsthand is Nathan Diller, consumer travel reporter at USA Today, who did a polar plunge in Antarctica. Nathan set this up. Yeah, so I was on a, an Antarctica expedition with Aurora Expeditions, um, which is an expedition company that sails down there. And uh, they do a polar plunge on every voyage. And they'd been talking about it for the the whole time. And, and I knew it was coming. But then they sort of find a, a good spot and they announce it very last minute. So I had been debating. And then by the time it rolled around, I, uh, I decided to go for it. Oof. All right. So... Uh, there's a big difference between, say, uh, a polar plunge at the New Jersey shore in January where it might be, I don't know, 50 degrees versus what you got into in like 37 degree water. Yeah, 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 exactly. You know, it was surprisingly felt warmer in the water than it actually did on the ship waiting to get off. We were on the, the back of the ship and they had the doors open. Um, so you're seeing everybody kind of walk up to the Zodiac to jump off. And um, and so that was actually the worst part was just the sort of shivering in line while you're waiting uh, oh. to get on, on the, the boat. Actually, in the water, at least for the very few seconds I was in there, felt a little bit better. How about the mind games you might be playing with yourself? Yeah, you know, I'm 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 somebody that uh, openly struggles with uh, with anxiety and and definitely around um, you know health things, and so I was pretty nervous. I think worrying about what could go wrong, and particularly being so cold. They did have medical staff standing by in case anything went wrong, but it was really quite freeing to do it. It, it just felt like you came out of it saying, "Oh wow, that wasn't actually that bad," and um, and there's a sense of camaraderie with everybody else who's doing it, and. You just think, I mean, when are you going to get this opportunity again? Um, Antarctica is a once-in-a-lifetime destination for a lot of people, and yeah. certainly maybe for me. So um, so it felt like a great time to sort of seize the moment. Wow. We're speaking with Nathan Diller, consumer travel reporter at USA Today. His story is called, I Did a Polar Plunge in Antarctica. Uh, so what, is it, what does it do mentally, say, for, for different folks? Yeah, you know, I think uh, expedition cruising in general can lend itself to getting outside your comfort zone. Um, I spoke for this story with several other travelers who've taken similar trips, um, one to Antarctica who was afraid of water. She almost drowned as a child, so she had a lot of fear around water, but she really wanted to get out in the kayaks and take advantage of the different activities that they had and, and didn't let that stop her. So. Her philosophy around it was really, you know, I don't want to go through life not doing things because I'm afraid of them. And, uh, you know, similarly, uh, but different, um, another traveler went with her family to the Galapagos Islands. Oh, wow. And um, they had a great time as a family. And it was really a catalyst for um, traveling again as a family the following year and, and spending um, a lot of quality time together. So it sort of created a a new tradition of sorts for them. And um, so it can it can really be transformative in, in several different ways for travelers. Thanks, Nathan. Nathan Diller, consumer travel reporter at USA Today. Do we have it all wrong when it comes to retirement saving? Do we need this relentless, lifelong focus on socking away great wads of money so we don't have to worry about earning another penny once we reach our 60s? Maybe not, says Jonathan Clements founder of HumbleDollar.com. He's got a look at retirement strategies called Fire and Ice. Jonathan, what'd you look at? So let me go to the title of the article, Gordon. Um, 
a lot of people will know that there's this thing called the Financial Independence Retire Early Movement or FIRE. And what FIRE is, is an extreme version of our traditional notion of retirement, which is we save like crazy so that we can retire as soon as possible. In the case of the FIRE people, perhaps even in their late 30s, because what we really want out of life is to be able to do nothing. <laughs> what we want to be able to do is have a life where we never earn another penny. <laughs> and I would like to suggest that maybe there's an alternative, and that's what, this alternative that I dubbed ICE, which stands for, I will continue earning. I'll continue earning. And my thought is this, Gordon, you know, when you think about the problem of retirement, what is the problem of retirement? Well, one, you know, we want steady income. Two, we still want that sense of purpose. Three, we still need to be you know, socially, intellectually, physically stimulated. Well, when you talk about all those attributes, what's the best way to get those attributes? Steady income, you know, social stimulation, a sense of purpose. Well, you get it by having a job. Yeah. <laughs> that is the way you solve the retirement puzzle by continuing to earn some income. And I realize this isn't for everybody, but for a significant sec segment of the population, I would say, hey, it's okay to continue earning money into your 60s, into your 70s. And if you do, you may find your retirement, in quotation marks, is a whole lot better than you imagined. Mm. We're speaking with Jonathan Clements. He's the founder and editor of HumbleDollar.com. He's written a piece called Fire Meets Ice. It's asking the question, are we, ready, are we overly focused on saving for retirement? Um, the feedback to this has been, I would imagine, on both sides of the spectrum. What's being said? Yeah, the feedback, Gordon, has been fascinating. Now, there is a section of the population out there, and, and I understand this, who, who just want nothing to do with the work world. They've been burned out by dealing with bad bosses, with heavy-handed employers, and they really want to escape the corporate world as soon as they can. And I, and I get it. And if you want to do that, that is fine, and you'll need to save a whole boatload of money, um, and you'll also need to think about what it is that you're going to do with your retirement years. But, you know, that's, that's a fine model of retirement. But I think there's a significant section of the population who actually like what they do for a living. They might like to do less of it. You know, they might like to be able to do it more on their own terms. But I don't think we should discourage these folks and say, hey, you know, if you're not retired by your mid-60s, something's wrong with you. Yeah. I think we should, as a society, be a little bit more tolerant and say, hey, you know, if you want to keep working into your 60s, into your 70s, that is a fine thing to do. And as a society, it would be good for us. You know, one of the things that we discuss all the time these days is, you know, funding government spending. You know, we're, we are running large government deficits. And one of the reasons is that we have all these people leaving the workforce who are no longer paying income taxes. If we can get people to stay in the workforce for longer and indeed encourage them perhaps with tax breaks, it would vastly improve the government budget deficit and it would ensure that there is funding for social security, not beyond, beyond 2033 and 2034, when supposedly the trust fund is going to be depleted and we're gonna to have to cut benefits. So uh, you bring up a, an interesting topic here. If we're earning some income as, say, a, a, a way to retire, there's a slightly off the beaten path here, but like, w what might the impact be on our Social Security earnings? 
So if you continue to work, yeah, you'll continue contributing to Social Security and, and you'll continue to pay income taxes. And the result is that the government will be in better fiscal shape in terms of your Social Security earnings. Yes, if you continue to work, you know, you will continue to accrue credits and that could potentially improve your Social Security benefit. I mean, if you bow out of the workforce before you've had 35 years of Social Security contributions, you know, there is a chance that your uh, benefit will be somewhat smaller than you would like. You know, it is based on your highest 35 years of earnings. But I think the more important factor in terms of paying for Social Security is that, you know, if you're continuing to earn a little bit of money, it makes the retirement numbers much easier. Um, the example I give in the story is that if you can find a part-time job that pays you maybe $30,000 a year, that is like having a nest egg that is $750,000 larger if you use this standard 4% rule. Thanks, Jonathan. Jonathan Clements, founder of HumbleDollar.com. Coming up next, the moviegoers who feel duped. Make this the year you kick a bad habit. Ever tried and failed? Yeah, me too. Here's a new strategy. Try Fume. It's not about giving up. It's about switching up. Fume takes your habit and simply makes it better, healthier, and a whole lot more enjoyable. Fume is an innovative, award-winning flavored air device. Instead of vapor, Fume uses flavored air. Instead of electronics, Fume is completely natural. And instead of harmful chemicals, Fume uses delicious flavors. I have one. It's really cool. Fume is a habit you're free to enjoy and makes replacing your nasty habit easy. Your Fume comes with an adjustable airflow dial and is designed with movable parts and magnets for fidgeting, helpful for de-stressing. Visit tryfume.com morning. That's F-U-M, Fume. Try the journey pack at tryfume.com. Dot com slash morning. Fume is giving listeners 10% off when they use my code morning to start the good habit. Tryfume.com slash morning. Plus, Fume's just released a magnetic stand for your fume, so there's no more losing it around the house. It's built with fidgeting in mind. You can spin your fume around on it. Tryfume.com slash morning. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. Some of the biggest movie releases in recent months, including Wonka and Mean Girls, feature song and dance numbers. But in their trailers, the show tunes don't take center stage. That left some viewers confused when characters burst into song. Here's Brianna Abbott, reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Brianna, what have you found? What you're seeing happening is sort of marketers trying to pitch movies to the broadest audience possible. And um, in the past, you know, musicals, while there are some that are beloved, absolutely, there are some that also don't do as well. And so what you're seeing is sort of different marketing strategies focused on sort of a, a broader audience. Got it. All right. So one of the people you spoke to was this a uh, real estate agent from Livingston, Montana, early on in your story, this Grace Beers. Uh, what was her experience? Yeah, so Grace um, normally likes musicals, but she usually needs to be prepared to see them. And she was excited. Um, she was excited to see the new Mean Girl. She loved the original one, but um, she was not aware that it was a musical before getting into the theater. So she went in with her fiance and in January to see the movie. And the, the person on screen sort of launched into the opening number and <laughs> her and her fiance looked at each other and they were like, that's 
that's kind of weird. And then um, the songs kept coming, and unfortunately, they they didn't make it to the end. And then afterwards, they they rewatched sort of the the main trailer to see if they had missed a spoiler, sort of about the show tunes. And then Beers told me essentially that there was no warning, and she she felt a bit duped by the whole situation. <laughs> We're speaking with Brianna Abbott, reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Her story is called "Moviegoers Are Shocked to Find Out Major Films." are really musicals. Uh, You referenced Paramount Pictures and some of their exit polling. What are they learning? Yeah, so Paramount Pictures said that its exit polls on opening weekend found that 75% of audience members were aware that it that Mean Girls was going to be a musical before they saw it. So basically, most people did know that it was a musical, but a chunk of them did not. So are the, are the movies themselves doing well? Uh, yes, so... Wonka has been widely considered a success. It's racked up over $195 million at the domestic box office. And Mean Girls, the first three weeks, um, is at the top of the box office charts. And that had um, garnered about $60 million. And those um, numbers are from when my article came out. Like, So those aren't the most relevant numbers. But yeah, those they've been widely considered sort of successes. Mm. All right. So where do we go from here, I guess, if... If these handful have been successful, are, are, are more ahead? Um, all I'll say about that is that um, I know <laughs> I'm not an opinion columnist, but I am excited about the new Wicked movie that is sort of coming <laughs> out later this year, which, if, in case anyone doesn't know, is based on a Broadway musical. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think musicals definitely are not going away. I don't know if sort of the success of these movies changes how, you know, studios market the films or if, you know, they keep going with what works. But I think um, the movie musical is is a staple. It is also sort of not not going away anytime soon okay. for, for better or for worse depending on how you feel about it right as you pointed out uh, it's kind of the movie makers do know that musicals can be polarizing who else told you a funny story about either pleasantly surprised or disappointedly shocked yeah, so I'll go. Um, there were actually quite a few people who I talked to who were were pleasantly surprised by by the whole situation, and um, one of them was Jim Bingham, who is sixty and sort of lives on Long Island, and wanted to see the new Wonka movie because you know of the nostalgia he felt for the original film, and so um, he dragged his two sons, who are in their mid twenties, to see it before Christmas. And none of them knew it was a musical, and his sons probably would have protested if they had, but they all actually had a, a really great time. And Bingham sort of wanted to be surprised and said that he was he was ready for anything. And so, um, yeah, that, that was a positive story. And also Wonka, the, the earlier movies also do have songs. So that's, that's another sign where people are saying, well, may, maybe they yeah. should have expected a musical. Thanks, Brianna. Brianna Abbott, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Well, we'll finish with this. Words like chocolate or coffee may not seem all that interesting unless they're spoken by a two-year-old in a strong New York, New Jersey accent. New Jersey native Elena Christina, a 24-year-old content creator, has gone viral after she posted a video of her young niece Gia on her TikTok account. Now, Gia has been welcomed with open arms by many New Jersey and New York residents because of her strong, adorable accent. Say coffee. Coffee. (laughs) Say water. Water. <laughs> Elena Cristina, a proud Italian-American, said she didn't realize how distinct her own accent was until later in life. Gia, her niece, spends most of her days with her aunt and her grandparents, who have strong New York and New Jersey accents. Gia's mom, also a New Jersey native, and Gia's father is from Brooklyn, so she's surrounded by strong intonations. 
The video has so far garnered 18 plus million views on TikTok and at least 2 million on Instagram. Elena said she didn't realize just how humorous the accent was until around Christmas when she posted the first video of Gia pronouncing the word chocolate. That'll do it for this hour. For Nicole Murray, I'm Gordon Deal. Thanks for listening to This Weekend 